behind the chair. This is America. Does everybody know what time it is? Fix It Radio. All right, and it is Fix It Radio, KLZ 560. I'm your host, John Rush. Jeff Kitty with me today. Dennis Brewster is out. I think he's actually in Lake Powell with one of our great sponsors as well. So uh, we appreciate Dennis and all that he does, especially the fill-in time he's done for me lately. So really appreciate that and uh, and all that he he does. We've got a lot in store for you today, but as always, lines are open. If you have a question with anything around the house, let us know, 303-477-5600. want to highlight also real quick, Arc Electric, one of our great sponsors, and talk to Bill this past week. In fact, we're going to get together with Bill and even do a sort of a three-hour during-the-week Rush to Reason energy show, talking all about the different things that are out there, the good, the bad, the ugly. And Bill Bill does a lot of this stuff. In fact, Bill can generate for you your own grid, if you would. In other words, if you want to live off the grid and be self-sustaining, maybe you've got a cabin or maybe you just want to be not dependent upon you know, XL Energy or your local co-op or whatever it happens to be, Bill has ways to do that. Now, that's not to say that that's a cost savings measure. It's a... I want to be off the grid measure. Yeah. But Bill can help you do all of that at Arc Electric. And by the way, all of our sponsors you can find on our website, fixitradio.com. <laughs> so anyways, Bill's a great guy. He'd love to help you with any of that you've got going on or any other electrical project you have. So we've got lots in store for you today. One being, and I thought about this today just from personal experience, and that is getting some of your yard equipment out, up, running, rolling. I kind of feel like given what we do on drive radio, that's really up our Alley and in our wheelhouse, probably more than even some of the other folks that are out there that run websites and do different things for, you know, fix up around the house. That's really in our wheelhouse. So we'll get into some of that. Also want to talk about, if we have time, irrigation startups, because that's also yep. probably here and ready to go. And then also want to talk about, you know, in, in indoor and exterior projects and alternatives to wood. <laughs> Oh. Now, I don't have this all written out, so I'm going to rely on some of you to call in and help us with that. But with wood prices being what they are, Jeff experienced this yesterday. What's a two-by-four now, Jeff? Uh, we're at uh, the, the Orange Place. Okay. Okay. Home Depot. You went to Home Depot. <laughs> Home Depot. And uh, premium stud was like $9 for a two-by-four by eight Nine bucks. Now, Nine for those bucks. that maybe don't know, what would that have been otherwise? Two bucks, three bucks? God, last year it was, I think, almost just a little over $2. That's what I thought. Because yeah, I remember seeing them at, you know, $2.99, $1.99, somewhere in that area. I was looking at just chipboard, 716's chipboard. It's about 38 bucks a sheet. That stuff was 7 When I shut the shop down, uh, that stuff was about seven fifty a sheet. So it's gone up that but, much. I mean, all the stuff that's happened as far as not producing um, <clears throat> the uh, lumber. I've been, I've been watching a little bit of YouTube on this. Right. And some of the conversations have been that the lumber producers only produce enough lumber for the demand. Right. And with everybody being off. And there was a higher demand. There was a higher demand that they it ate up all the supply. 
Okay. Because they don't warehouse a lot of that stuff anymore. So it's a non-demand type it, it's supply. It's a non-demand okay. type sense. supply. Well, all the lumbering and all that stuff got shut down. So they went through all their product, as it were. And then we had the most of the glues and the laminate. Uh, some of the plastic stuff comes out of Texas as far as the chemicals to make that with the shutdown down there. That's just kind of piling on top. So they think it's gonna it's gonna even out, but it could be twenty twenty two before it does. Twenty. So in a year. A year. Now, for some of you that have got just real quick, this has nothing to do with you know projects or things like that. But for those of you that have either had projects underway and are about finished, yeah. You know what? Good for you because you've got some automatic instant appreciation just with what we're talking about because the material cost alone uh, would go up, which just pet peeve of mine, by the way. Are appraisers that are out there right now appraising houses, do they understand what we're talking about? I don't think so. Because I've seen appraisals lately. I have one on my own house where I, I got the appraisal in and I looked at it and I'm thinking... The appraisal I just got, I couldn't rebuild the house for. So no. are, are these guys smoking crack, and are they just that out of touch as appraisers? And if you're an appraiser and you want to answer my question, please do so, because I don't get it. When you can't replace the house for what it's being appraised for, isn't the appraisal off at that point? Well, what I, I don't know whether it's the demand that's doing it, but I live, I live in, I guess you'd call it West Denver, Lakeside yeah. area. yeah. Okay, and we just went through our AIM mortgage asset manager. Right, right, right. With, with Kurt, who's going to join with, us at about 1030 today, by the way. With Kurt. Okay, and, I mean, we came up with 525, something like that. And our house is, it's not a big house. It's 1,400 square feet with a double car garage, you know, that freshly landscaped and remodeled kitchen, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they just sold a house for six twenty-five. That's thirteen hundred square feet. Wow! Yeah, it's crazy. So, and it's, it's doesn't crazy. have near the landscaping that we've got, the interior stuff, or any of that. I, again, my point is, I'm not an appraiser. I get it. Maybe we could ask Kurt this a little bit at you know the ten thirty mark. I probably will because I, I don't understand at times how you know what I, I realize appraisers have to use comps and things like that but when you can look at square footage and you know what the cost per square foot is to rebuild a place shouldn't that be one of your basis yeah but even that they're supposed to look at the the surrounding neighborhood and what things are going for i get it and i don't that's what i don't understand is i mean they're if one of you has an answer to that, by the way, call us 303-477-5600. I'd love to talk to you. And I probably left 100000 sitting on the table. Yeah, anyways. So well, Those are things we'll talk about today. If you got a question for us, please give us a call, 303-477-5600. Text line 307-200-8222, 307-200-8222. Just give us a call or a text message. We'll answer those accordingly. So let's real quick get into the small engine side of the fence that's right up our alley one of the things i wanted to cover today you know what do you do getting that item drug out now and for a lot of you that's everything from gosh you're going to be putting the snowblower away we'll talk about what to do there you're going to be dragging the lawnmower out you may have a weed eater maybe a, a blower and some of these will be gas powered or electric we'll talk about both because by the way they're 
even on some of the electric you know, cordless items, there are certain maintenance items you probably should be doing and taking care of. So we'll get into some of those today. If you have a question on anything, maybe you've got something specific where you're dragging it out, you can't get it fired up, something along those lines, please let us know. Uh, we'll answer that question as well, 303-477-5600. And then if I have time today, I also want to get into some of the, you know, spring cleaning how do you go through some things? You know, what's a good rule of thumb when it comes to doing some of those things, some of the organizational things that are out there now, which just real quick, there are so many more ways to get yourself organized from what it used to be that there's really no excuse today not to be. Oh, no. Yeah, it's... The tools available, I mean, they're just, just the storage devices and so on. It's just exactly. it's incredible. From you, know, you can take a very small space and become very... Uh, clutter-free and organized but with all of the different tools we now have at hand that we didn't used to have. So, But oh, yeah. let's talk about the, the small engine side of the fence. So, Jeff, you know, it's something you and I have done for years and years. So we're dragging the mower out. First time, maybe it got put away correctly at the end of the year last year. Maybe not. Maybe all of a sudden, you know, we just sort of started, you know, we got out of mowing and started running the snowblower, and maybe we forgot to put everything away correctly. What are some of the first things we ought to do dragging the mower out? Well, the thing that I've done since it came out is i've been using true fuel okay um the stuff does not go bad okay uh so you buy it in a buy it in a quart or gallon okay uh home depot low sells it okay uh i also put stable yep and the gas before i shut everything down uh so true fuel yeah i'm looking at it right now Okay, got it. So you can just buy it in a in a in a yeah. Cork, you can buy gallon, it for you want to do it. two stroke. You can buy it for four stroke. The thing is, is if you the small engine manufacturers have all really railed against the, the methanol or the ethanol in them, ethanol fuel. Uh, and I tell you, it works. My stuff starts up. Okay. I don't have to run it dry. I don't have to do any of that. It just starts up. So it's an ethanol-free it's a, it's fuel. It's true fuel. It's true gasoline. Okay. Uh, but it's designed for small engines. I see that you can. I, I'm looking at it right now. You can buy it in a 40-to-1 mix, 50-to-1 mix, depending yeah. upon what you need. Um, okay, great tip. I, I, I've never used it. I've, re, I've always just used regular you know, regular gas, and away we go. But Well, yeah, but, I mean, you, you're in a different— Yeah, I'm a different world. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not I running mean, a push mower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, is but I, I mean, but you know, but I still have a lot of two stroke stuff that I run from, you know, trimmers to, uh, you know, hedge trimmers and things like that. This true fuel would be great for that. Yeah. But I, I haven't found a four stroke trimmer that works. Uh, they don't no. seem to spin fast enough. No, I use two stroke stuff. Yeah. And it, I mean, with the true fuel, you don't get any smoke. You don't, I mean, it just, works fires every time and you can buy this pretty much anywhere you just mentioned yeah and you can buy it in a quantity that's not obnoxious and as long as that cap's tight it doesn't go bad oh so, uh, and just asked a great question by the way she has an electric lawnmower uh, i bring the battery in during the winter do i need to uh it doesn't hurt by the way uh, i don't know that you would have to do that but if you if, if especially if you have a garage that's not heated and it you know and ann's in minnesota she's our producer uh does a lot of things you know that you guys don't yep. get to see on a daily basis all behind the scenes sort of things but uh yeah ann in minnesota where she can get down to that you know zero or negative yeah i'd probably bring it inside okay and this is something we ran into with uh some milwaukee batteries if they're below a certain degree 
they will not charge. Okay. They're, so so bring them inside. You're better off if you bring them inside or keep them in a warm location. So there you go. So, Ann, there's your question or there's your answer. And, yes, I, I agree, by the way, with what Jeff just said, and I would do the very same thing. I would, bring, I would bring those things in. You know, and it, it does, it's not that big a deal. If you haven't got something like that, get, a, get like a sealed container. Sure. And put, a, put just a, a small electric piezo heater. True. You could do that. And keep it at 40 degrees or whatever, well, and you're fine. Just keep it warmed up. All right. Todd and Fort Collins might have an answer for me on house appraisals. Todd, welcome, sir. Yes. Um, yeah, you, when you're talking about the lumber and everything, that's really the cost basis, what it costs to build. But when you're looking at appraisal value, that's what it costs, what people would be willing to pay for that house. Two different contexts. You know, whether or not other people would be wanting to buy it versus what it's going to cost you to build that new that house the same way. But doesn't the, doesn't the you know, cost approach have, I mean, does it have any bearing upon the value of the house or not? It doesn't because it's really the market. What will the market bear? You know, yeah, it may cost you that much, but the market doesn't want to pay for that. And they could, and they could, and part of it too, John, is someone could go buy another house at a cheaper price. Yeah, you're, you know, having to replace that house if there was a you know, tornado or something went through might cost that much, but you could, you could easily go buy something cheaper, um, you know, a, a comparable house without having to buy the buy that wood at such a high price. Got it. Okay, so. When when you have like a major disaster come through and take a house out because your house appraised for X amount of dollars, but it's going to cost more, how do you get an appraisal for rebuild? You don't. That's all in your insurance policy. You have to do that on the front side on the policy. That I do know. But how do they do that? Uh, that's that's up to you and the insurance company and predetermined values on the front side and what you're paying for in your policy. Okay. Right, Todd. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you 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 put that much money. You put four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, whatever on yeah. it. Yeah, and, and right. And by and by the way, great great point that we've talked a little bit about in the past. But uh, Todd, you're bringing up a great point. If you know right now that your house's value is X, but you know it costs you know, I don't know, twenty percent more to rebuild it, you better have that factored into your policy, or you're going to take it in the shorts if you have a, a complete disaster. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and by the way, my my cabin up in the up in the Granby area, there's a lot of my neighbors up there that are finding themselves in that very position because now that, you know, th- keep this in mind, Todd, when the fire went through last October, you know, prices were X for the rebuild. Well, now what's happened is, you know, you're going to rebuild something that you're finally getting all of your insurance settlements and claims and things done and on. And now we've had a, what, 180 you know, 180% price increase on wood. So what you even determined last October was going to be a price isn't the same today. Exactly. So, yeah, you've got to have those things. Uh, and there are some escalation clauses in uh, insurance policies. But, but you, again, you, that's, that's you and your agent on the front side determining that. And I will tell you right now, they're not all standard. You really have to get with your agent and figure out what those are going to be because that's not a standard thing that everybody does the same way. And, Todd, you may know more about that than I do. I, I don't know any about that. I know more about that appraisal part that we're talking about. So now, the other thing too that I do know on appraisals, and by the way, great great topic because I think folks think at times that they're going to do X to the house and it will increase the value by X. And for example, I know outside landscaping things, for example, don't really do much when it comes to the value of the house on the appraisal side, right? 
Correct. The biggest things is the, the master bedroom and the kitchen, which, you know, yeah, everybody hangs right. out in the kitchen and they right. want a nice ba- a nice, right. nice bathroom. But And you can do some things to help make the house sell better, you know, removing furniture, making it look bigger. But uh, that, that that's just getting those buyers to want to buy that more. Yeah, but and and to your point, doesn't necessarily doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it's going to increase the appraised value when somebody comes through to appraise it. Correctly, yeah. correct. Yeah. So how is how is this uh, lumber or building materials issue going to affect new housing? Well, it's going to drive those prices. Uh, yeah, that's a great question, Todd. So as the new prices, you know, for a new house goes up, does that affect some of the surrounding areas and some of the used house appraisals? I don't know. It affects the the used houses. It's it's obviously going to p- affect the cost of building, uh, and maybe some of those builders will have to take a little bit of a cut to, just to move those those properties. But I don't think it should affect anything that's already there. It's really just the market, what the market will bear, uh, what the market is willing to pay for a property. Okay. All right. So with that in, in mind, it's probably going to keep some projects from coming out of the ground. It could. Yeah, it could. Which is going to probably make the housing market even tighter. Even tighter. It so. could very well. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, because Todd's right. Eventually, what really boils down to even on a new house, and Todd, you know this, the market will only bear a certain amount. Now, right now, it's crazy, and it's bringing far more than I ever thought it would in the first place. But on the new side, you know, those those builders, there is a threshold there where if they get a certain point, they're not selling new houses. And they're not going to they're not going to take the loan out to build it. That's right. They just, yeah, exactly. They won't take the capital out to make it happen. Great, stuff. Todd. Thank you. I, I appreciate. What, what's your background, by the way, Todd? Um, I'm a professor at Colorado State Marketing. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, too. I appreciate it very much, Todd. Thank very you. much. Thank you very much. Uh, there's a great answer. We'll come right back. By the way, anybody else who wants to chime in on that three zero three four seven seven fifty six hundred. This is Fix It Radio KLZ five sixty. Can you believe how low rates are staying? Still in the twos. Back in the 40s and the 50s, rates were in the 5 to 6% range. How much longer are you going to wait? Take AIM, Affordable Interest Mortgage, 720-895-0500. Your home has never been worth more. Take AIM to get that lower rate or shorten your term. Lower your payment and pay thousands less in interest. It's your money. Call 720-895-0500 now. Affordable Interest Mortgage. Locally owned and family operated since 2001. Are you ready for the future financially? Many of our clients have the ability to access their equity for 30 years without raising their payments now. This prepares them for those speed bumps of life. Ask how you can become mortgage safe too. Take AIM, 720-895-0500, where our reputation of putting you first and listening to you is unmatched in Colorado. Call 720-895-0500 now so you can focus on what's important, family. Regulated by door, NMLS 298191, equal credit lender. Paul Lewinberger with American National Insurance offers a rebate program unlike any other. Every year that you don't file a claim, you get a certain percentage of your money back. Just one example of how Paul Lewinberger, the personal insurance agent of John Rush, keeps your rates so low. He rewards his customers for their diligence and responsibility. Paul can also help you strategize about when to file a claim and when to pay out of pocket so you save more money in the long run. You don't want to shop online for insurance because you have no idea what you're buying. You need Paul Lewinberger with American National, the no surprises insurance agent. Call 303 6620789 
That's 303-662-0789. And ask Paul Lewinberger with American National Insurance for details about his unique rebate program for home and auto insurance. Talk to somebody with the expertise to advise you so you get the coverage you expect. Managers control their employees. Leaders empower them. John Rush will teach you how to run your business as a leader, not manager, so you have the freedom to do what you love. You went into business for yourself because you wanted freedom, but right now your business couldn't last one day without your involvement. Learn how to stop micromanaging and give your employees more responsibility so you can step back and enjoy yourself. Send an email to john at rushtoreason.com. All right, Fix It Radio, KLZ 560, myself, Jeff Kitty, Charlie Grimes, your engineer, Larry Unger answering phones, by the way. We appreciate Larry coming in on Saturdays for that as well. Uh, lines are open. If you got a comment or a question for us, 303-477-5600. And, Todd, I appreciate the comments you made a few minutes ago on the appraisal side. And I, I get all of that, and I, I understand that I think at times where some of these appraisals, appraisers run into issues is when there's not good comps for the property they're looking at and I, I really at that point I think they're to Todd's point they're guessing at what's somebody willing to pay for this place and they until you put it on the market and try to sell it they don't who knows well and it you know some of some of those you're going to have to have a specific buyer yes yes I mean yes, correct they have to be looking for what you've got that's correct yeah and that's the problem when you get into more unique properties, you know, and I have one of those. I've got acreage. I've got a shop. You know, I've got things there that you just don't go find in the regular average You're home. not going to find that. And in turn, it's hard to appraise those types of properties because, you know, it's a very, very small market. Well, you're not you're not going to find your property in that neighborhood. No. No. You're right. To find the property that you've got, you've got to go way out east. That's right, and which changes and everything. And it's not near as nice. Yep. And, I mean, that's just. Yeah, and I know this is not a factor. I think it should be. I should have asked Todd this, but uh, I've read enough appraisals to know that they put a little bit of bearing on on uh, location, but I don't feel like they put as much of it, you know, as much of uh, as much on that as I think they should at times. Yeah, and I agree with that. They just don't. They just look at what's going on around you. What are, what are things selling for? What are they? To Todd's point, what do they think the house's value is? What somebody willing to pay for it? And they run off of that. Now, I I'm one where, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I look at location more than other people buying homes do. But to me, location is a, is a big big deal when you're buying a house. It's you know it's old. That's that old three keys to success in business: location, location, location. <laughs> Melissa's up next. Melissa, welcome. How are you? I'm fine. I know I'm not really calling about a fix-it issue, but uh, I have a uh, Volkswagen Tiguan, um, and we have the fob that goes with it. And it goes dead like every eight months, and we're changing the battery. We checked the the new battery's 3.3 volts. It depletes down to 3, and you know then I can't unlock my door, and I can't blah, blah, blah. Do you have any idea what's going on? Uh, there's got to be something that's that's drawing that down. Where do you keep your fob? Well, it's actually inside, you know, in the house, I would say, oh, 20 feet from the car, but inside the house. And so it's out of the car, I guess. And uh, so I just don't know. It's just weird. Um, 
the only thing I could think of is an internal problem in the fob. Yeah. I, I, do you have two fobs, Melissa? I have two fobs, and honestly, they both do the same thing. So it's, it's not just one fob doing it. They're both doing that. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, next question. Do you park in the garage, or do you park I'm in outside? in the garage. Yep, okay, so I uh, here's what I here's what I would try. And by the way, this is a tip for this is a fix it tip. By the way, this is not oh, okay. drive radio. This is fix it. If you park in the garage, and I know people are some are going to disagree with me, but coming from a car guy for all these years, if you park in the garage, leave your fob in the car. Oh, okay. And by the way, two reasons. One, we're going to determine if that fob is working extra because it's just a few feet away inside the house. The other reason, though, I like having the fob in the car is for fire, Melissa. If there's ever a fire and you need to get the car out of the garage quickly, not having the fob in the car can create havoc problems and so on. If somebody gets into the garage and they decide to steal the car, you got insurance for it, big deal, away you go. And frankly, they're going to steal it whether the fob's in the car there or whether it's 15 feet away inside the house. If they want it, they're going to take it anyway. So frankly, the, the theft side of the fence is not a huge issue to me. Now, what that also means, though, is if you live someplace where... You know, you're in a neighborhood and things like that. Yeah, you don't want to leave the door open to the garage and the keys in the car and not be out with it where you can watch and see what's going on. Because, yeah, somebody could just hop in the car and drive away. So you got to be a little bit more careful that way. But I am a big fan of keeping keys in the car when they are parked indoors. Well, and it could be that the the key fob is searching for the car. That's right. If you're that close to it, it could be part. Now, I say all that to say this. Is this something that changed or has it been this way since you've owned it? owned it yeah try this Uh then yes try this okay okay Okay, great try it report back to us melissa i appreciate the phone call and yeah that was kind of a dual question on both sides because i again folks i guess maybe the way i was raised and just having a shop for all these years i mean in the shops when we pull a car into the shop the keys stay in the car with the vehicle you never take them out when it's parked inside and that's per insurance and if you do you're we're yelling at someone yeah typically so some of that for me is just habit over the years of parking you know, in, indoors, in a shop, and so on. But, yeah, I am one where uh, even today I, you will find every key in my cars inside if they're parked inside. Now, if I park them outside, of course, I'm locking it, pulling the keys out and so on. But yep. if it's parked in the garage, the keys are inside of it. And I think you're right, Jeff. I think in this case it could be searching and, and doing some things there that, you know, it's, it's activating is, the, is what I'm getting at. Well, it, it depends on the system, but, yeah. Because it, it should last longer than that. I would think so. A couple of years, easy, so what it was what it should be last. But I've seen some aftermarket alarm fobs. That don't last. Don't last for yeah. beans. Yeah. No, in this case, though, I would I would try that. So, yep. again, Melissa, thank you. That was kind of a dual question. I appreciate you listening. <coughs> again, que- questions, answers, we've got them. Uh, 303-477-5600, 303-477-5600. Call us. We'll get those questions answered for you. We'll take a break now, get caught back up. I went a little long there in that first segment, which – Again, great topics. I appreciate it and and appreciate all of you calling in. We'll get back to the small engine side of the fence and what you need to do as you pull these things out as soon as we come back. If you've got a comment on that or a question, feel free to call. This is Fix-It Radio, KLZ 560. Paul Lewinberger with American National Insurance offers a rebate program unlike any other. Every year that you don't file a claim, you get a certain percentage of your money back. Just one example of how Paul Lewinberger, the personal insurance agent of John Rush, keeps your rates so low. He rewards his customers for their diligence and responsibility. Paul can also help you strategize about when to file a claim and when to pay out of pocket so you save more money in the long run. You don't want to shop online for insurance because you have no idea what you're buying. You need Paul Lewinberger with American National, the no-surprises insurance agent. 
Call 303-662-0789. That's 303-662-0789. And ask Paul Lewinberger with American National Insurance for details about his unique rebate program for home and auto insurance. Talk to somebody with the expertise to advise you so you get the coverage you expect. Take AIM. Affordable Interest Mortgage has been offering the Asset Manager All-in-One Loan for over 11 years. We are experienced in helping homeowners pay thousands less in interest on their mortgage, own their home faster, all without spending one dime more. 720-895-0500. Take AIM, Affordable Interest Mortgage, where we have hundreds of clients that have been using this loans to build their equity faster, access emergency funds when necessary, and pay off their home in 8 to 13 years versus 25 to 30. People initially believe this loan is too good to be true, but it is true. Call 720-895-0500 now to see if you qualify. Loans from 100000 to $2.5 million, same rate. Ask our previous clients. They will tell you it works. Call 720-895-0500 and work with the experts. This loan has been around since 1965. Affordable interest mortgage, where it's all about you. 720-895-0500. Regulated by DOOR, NMLS 298191, Equal Credit Lender. Dave Hart with RoofMax in South Aurora started out as a traditional roofer, repairing and replacing asphalt roofs. But he got so tired of the unnecessary waste. The quality of asphalt shingles has declined in recent years, leading to less and less durable roofs. Especially in Colorado, where high altitudes expose your roof to stronger UV rays that damage your shingles, combined with severe spring and summertime storms and more than twice the national average snowfall, you could end up replacing your roof every few years, paying higher and higher insurance costs. Roof Rejuvenation from RoofMax offers an alternative to total roof replacement. Just one application of the all-natural bio-oil immediately adds five years to your roof guaranteed. Because Dave has a background in roofing, he can provide any patches or small repairs your roof may need before applying roof rejuvenation. Call Dave Hart with RoofMax in South Aurora now at 303-710-6916. That's 303-710-6916. All right, Fix-It Radio, KLZ 560. One thing we should talk about at some point is... You know, water, water quality, water softeners, all that stuff. I'll put that on my Up list here. of things we could talk about down the road as well. And maybe if you have a yard that's not coming back, yeah, might not be a bad idea to get the water tested. Speaking of, by the way, speaking test. of which, yeah, speaking of which, uh, Colorado State University, they do a lot of that yes. stuff. In fact, there's links that one of you listeners sent me. I will give those to Ann, get those up on the website so you've got the access to those things immediately that's another great resource all right let's get back to small engines whether it be lawnmowers weed eaters you're putting the snowblower away and so on so real quick, real quick let's let's do this it's now time probably to put the blower away yep i'm thinking even if we get a little bit of snow from this point forward even if we get some it'll be gone and not you know you're not gonna have to shovel let's just say that there's not gonna be much around where you have to shovel i mean i i get it we can have a foot of snow in the first of may but it'll melt in an hour exactly so when it comes to your snowblower let's talk there first and because this is what should have happened last year with the lawnmower which sometimes does sometimes doesn't happen drain it so when it comes to a snowblower whether you let it sit there and uh, idle, which I wouldn't recommend because you're wasting fuel. But if you have just a little teeny bit of fuel in it and you want to just run it out, go ahead. Idle it, run it out. No big deal. Once it quits running, it's drained. Because their 
harder to get to some of the componentry we're talking about. Again, depends on the snowblower. Some of the two-stroke blowers I'm talking about are harder to get to. Some of the four-stroke blowers, everything's right there in front of you. You can actually, there's a screw at the bottom of the bowl of the carburetor. Just pull it. You can loosen that up, let the fuel run out into a pan. Save, I mean, again, that fuel's expensive, so save it. Don't just let it run out. Save it and uh, use it for, you know, whatever else you've got going on this summer. But go ahead and get it drained. On a four-stroke engine, leave the oil alone. We're going to change that next uh, fall anyway, so just leave that alone. So right now, all you really need to do is drain it. Put it away, store it. Now, I am a big one on check the machine over. What I mean by that is what do the tires look like? What do the blades look like? Are, is everything good, clear? You know, Wear bars. Everything. Because yeah. here's the thing. The best time to buy parts for that is now. Is now as we head into summer because they will be cheaper now than they will be running into the fall. So yep. we're going to make a list of those things we need for the snowblower or any of those type of items you're going to be now putting away. Make a list of those things. Let's buy those items now. Even if you don't install them until the fall, doesn't matter. Just make that list, and we're going to buy those things through the summer at a hopefully cheaper price. And what you do there is watch for some of the companies that sell some of those things, Napa included, and a lot of times they will have sale items on those things as we head into the summer months. Okay, so first things first, let's get that stuff put away, get it stored properly, drained, off we go. And again, we're not changing oil right now. We don't want to mess with that now. We'll do that stuff as we get into the fall. And it's it's probably not a bad idea to have serial number or model numbers Written down or in a, to written take a picture down, of it, either way, however you want to do it. You yeah, know, on a piece idea. of paper hung on the wall. Great idea. Whatever, because when you go to buy parts. <laughs> yes, they, they will need those. They will need those. They'll need both of those. And, and some of you may ask why. The why is because the small engine world, and by the way, this is true even with cars that are modern today. It used to be you could take make, model. If you knew your engine, you know, your engine and transmission, you could buy pretty much any part for any car. Even today, you almost need a VIN number for a car to go buy a part. It's even more important for the small engine equipment, and the reason for that is because it's a hodgepodge. Yep. Right? They know exactly what's on that machine. Based on that Production date, right. all that stuff. Right. Without that, they, you, yep. it's a, you have no idea. It's, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, you have no idea. So good point, Jeff. <laughs> Write that stuff down. And that's true with all of the equipment that you own. The other reason you need that is if something happens and you end up missing an item, something stolen, fire, whatever, you now have all of that stuff written down, ready to go, and it's it's right there. And, and again, I would keep that in a, either an insurance folder. I'd keep, probably keep it in a couple of places. Put an insurance folder and also keep it out in the shop so you've yep. got all your stuff there. Another great way to do that, by the way, most of us now have smartphones. Yeah. Click a picture of that item. Our brain. So you take a picture of the snowblower. You then take the next picture of the serial number and the model number. Yep. And you go store that away in one of your picture folders and, you know, call it equipment or whatever you want, and boom, done, handled. Exactly. And most of you are storing that stuff now in the cloud where you're always going to have access to it. Done deal. That's and you, easy. And you can pull it up when you're out looking for parts. Right. So multiple ways to do that, but store that information. So we, anyways, snowblower is away. We're now dragging out whatever it is you've got lawnmower-wise. Now, some of you have electric mowers. Some of you have gas-powered mowers. Some of you have riding mowers. It depends on the mower and what we're going to do maintenance-wise. But now that we've got it out, first things first, if you drained the fuel out of it, which hopefully you did, uh, one thing I do like checking, and I would do if it were me, and I, would, and I do do this, if you've got access to the carburetor, which typically you do, that screw we just mentioned a moment ago that you used to drain the fuel – Take that back out again. Take a little bit of carb cleaner, which you can buy at Napa or 
pretty much anywhere else, but we're going to use carb cleaner, not brake cleaner or anything like that, but actual carb cleaner. We're going to take the little nozzle. We're going to shoot it up inside the carburetor, let that run out, put the screw back in. Why do we do that? Just gets rid of any type of residue or junk that Deposit. may have been in there from the you know from the year before. We're just going to sort of wash things out. No, I don't want you taking the bowl completely off. You, in some cases, you can, but typically you don't need to do that. We're just going to sort of rinse the inside of the bottom of the carburetor out in the method I just said. Yep. After you do that, put the screw back in. Now, before we do anything else with adding fuel, and the reason why I say this is because Depending upon your lawnmower, you may be tipping it on the side to actually drain the oil out because we're going to change oil as well now. And we want to do that with nothing in the fuel tank. Why? Because of what I just said. A lot of lawnmowers, the only way you can pull that oil out, again, is to tip it on its side and let the oil drain out. If that's the case, we don't want it full of fuel because you're just going to waste it. Exactly. So, and, and by the way, most of you that, are, that have lawnmowers, uh, even despite what some of the Folks that sold you the mower or the manufacturer says, uh, 1030 Mobile One for 90% of small engines out there works perfect. That's all you got to have. A couple of quarts of 1030 Mobile One on the shelf. You can typically do all of the small engine equipment you have kicking around the house. And that's what I would use back in it. Some riding mowers will have actual you know, oil filters. If that's you, you know that. That's a whole different ballgame. You want to change that at the same time. We'll get into blade sharpening and some of that here in a moment. Joe, though, you're up next. What's going on, sir? John, just uh, going back to the discussion on lumber at the beginning of the show. Yes, yes, yes. Most, most homeowners policies have two numbers in there. One, they have kind of your the current market value at the time you took the policy, and the other is kind of a reconstruction cost, you know, if you had to rebuild right. it. Uh, and that was based, you know, so if it was three years old, um, it's whatever that number is is going to be the most you're going to get if your house burns down and you want to rebuild. So if you have a reconstruction uh, uh, coverage rider in your in your policy, you want to get that updated because yes. you know yes. if they said it was 350 to rebuild your house three years ago. It's probably 450 today. Um, and you won't have enough money to rebuild your house under your current policy. Yeah, and you know what, Joe, you, and I, as I said that earlier, that's something that right now, by the way, folks, you really need to be checking with your carrier. And if you don't have a great one, go call Paul Lewinberger, my carrier here at, at American National Insurance. His number's in the ads. We've got him all day long. If you need him directly, send me a, a text message or an email, and I'll get you in contact with him. But, yeah, Joe, to your point, this needs to be reviewed really right now, probably every six months, given where we're at with the climate of things. Yeah, and it's not just lumber; it's also uh, the uh, the market price of the home. I mean, again, right. your policy has a cap on it, and the way home prices have been shooting up here—if your policy is three years old, you know—I guarantee you, both the market value and the reconstruction of your house is uh, a lot greater than it was, you know, yep. three years ago. So right. you need to get your now your premium is going to go up, by the way. Yes, it will. Uh, because you're going to pay by the premium, but That's right. it's probably better to pay for the coverage and have it. Well, as somebody, Joe, you know, myself, lost a home. Uh, yeah, you want to make sure you've got the proper coverage. Because the other thing you want, everybody listening, is you want the ability to have choices if something were to happen in a catastrophic loss of your home. What I mean by that, and Joe, you already know this, but what I mean by that is let's say that you're not going to rebuild and you decide you're just going to go buy something else. Well, you've got to have enough coverage in your existing home to be able to cash out of that, to Joe's point, go find something else nearby wherever you want to live and have the ability money-wise to make that happen. Joe, the other thing folks need to look at is also their personal contents and make sure that they're insured properly there as well. And some insurance policies will exclude things unless you have them specifically listed in your policy. Yep. Guns, for example. 
by the way, guns, most policies will exclude guns and jewelry unless you have a writer. That's right. So uh, unless your guns are listed, uh, you're not going to have any coverage. You're going to have a, maybe a $200 cap. It'll be minimal. You won't have much. So if you've got... Three thousand. I mean, hell, you know, a good AR these days is you know twelve hundred dollars. Not counting the, the Joe, it doesn't take much anymore to get ten grand worth of guns. If you've bought things over the course of the past several years and you've got five, six guns, you could have ten k pretty quick. Yeah, and and you won't have you know, if anything, you might have a two hundred dollar coverage. You know, right. won't even cover the the scopes on on the, that at all. And you know, a good handgun these days is you know six seven hundred bucks. So, right. Uh, so you want to if you want coverage for that, you have to get it. A jewelry, you have to get that coverage. Um, so the, those are all the things. Hey, John, I got a question though on snowblowers and, and yeah. lawnmowers. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I took my snowblower off my garden tractor last month, and I put the mower deck on. Do I need to go drain my carburetor and do all that stuff you no, talked about? No, not on yours. You don't. <laughs> yeah, you're doing no, but but on yours, the one thing you do you do probably need. I mean, you're new enough where you wouldn't have to. But if as you get some age on yours, Joe, even in your case, you're going to have oil in the actual you know, gearbox of the snowblower itself yep. that, yes, as time goes by, you'll need to address as well, as you know. And that's typically 90-weight gear oil. Typically speaking, yes. Now, yep. again, though, yep. on that one, for everybody listening, read your owner's manual on those items, because some of those, Joe, are doing that differently, where they're using a lighter oil and they're not using gear oil. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. To, and the other thing, by the way, uh, on my uh, brush hog when I was back in Colorado, a lot of people make the mistake of, of filling those gearboxes to the brim. Yeah, it's too full. Uh, <laughs> it's, too, it's too full. You should never – I can't speak for every piece of equipment, but every gearbox I've ever dealt with, uh, you do not want to have it brim full. Yeah, and they, and they will give you a guideline. Sometimes it's a you know dipping your finger in and so on. Other times there's an actual fill mark. But, yeah, to your point, Joe, if you overfill it, you just end up with a huge mess. Yeah, it'll blow the seals out. You right. Know, I used to, you know, stick a dip, you know, uh, stick a pencil in there right. in the gearbox, you know, to get. You know, no, but you know, you bring up a great point for those of you that are listening, and a lot do. You've got implements and you've got things along those lines. Same thing there too, though. As you start changing these implements around, I'm always a big one, as you know, Joe. That implement that you just took off, double check everything. Make sure you don't need anything for it, parts wise or so on, because it's much easier to buy that stuff now than it will be as you start heading into the fall. Exactly. Yeah, and you have time to do it. You know, right. rush like. Exactly. Uh, the, the worst thing, by the way, for instance, I, I had a big 200-gallon uh, weed, you know, weed sprayer. You know, and the worst thing to do is hook up your weed sprayer, you yep. know, the, the first week of May and find yep. out you've got, you know, broken nozzles or, you know. It doesn't yeah, work. It doesn't work. <laughs> something froze up. You know, you, you exactly. You name it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the, ro- yeah the roller pump isn't working. Right. You know, so uh, the time to do that is, is – uh, in the fall or do it a month before you need it in the spring. But you know, Well, it's that old saying, Joe, too, and I you know, talk about this one on both shows, Drive Radio and Rush to Reason, is you want to buy things when you don't need them, not when you do. Exactly. Because if exactly. you have time to shop, you can always get a better price and get what you want versus just having to run out right now and buy it because it's an emergency. Well, and the other side of that is, is when you run into that surprise snowstorm that hits you before you got a chance to look at it. You're done. You're it, ready. If it's done before right. when you put it away... You're ready to rock and roll when you, right. when you need it. And not only can you get a better price, you can get the uh, uh, something better. Now, what's on the, the dealer's lot or the dealer's shelf uh, may not be the optimum right. solution for you. Great point. So, uh, so you may look, you know, I really want this model, you know, right. this size. Bowl, right. But yep. it's not on the dealer's showroom floor. Well, okay, well, I can get it for you in, in 10 days or two weeks. But you can't wait 10 days, so you're going to wind up either buying too much or That's too right. little. That's right. Great point. Premium for it. Great so. point. Great point. Yep. No, you're right on target. Yep. 
right, guys. Good stuff, okay. Joe, as always. I appreciate your Thanks. comments, and he's exactly right. You know, as we, as we even change around some of these implements this time of the year for some of you that have, uh, you know, hobby farms or you've got five, ten acres, whatever the case may be. And, and by the way, I'm as guilty of this as anybody, as, as I was helping, you know, the guy that comes and helps me with my lawn and do all the things that I do around the house and – I'm looking at my mower deck this morning and knowing that that stuff should have been handled, clean, sharpened, and what have you, you know, last fall. Cleaning the de- the underside and of the, the deck? The deck was clean, but the, the blade, you know, should have went ahead and just sharpened the blades last fall so it's all ready to go today so you're not dinking with it, you know, this morning. Again, those are the things that you can be proactive in. We'll talk more about that when we come back because that is the next thing we're going to talk about. Is We've changed the oil in the mower. We've got the carburetor handled. We now need to make sure the blade is good. And by the way, you don't have to send the blade off to get sharpened. I'll talk about that when we come back as to how you can do that yourself. You don't have to have any power tools or anything along those lines either. So I'm not going to scare you off. There's a way to do this without having to pay somebody to do it. And it's really simple. We'll go over that here in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Fix it radio. KLZ 560. Can you believe how low rates are staying? Still in the twos. Back in the 40s and the 50s, rates were in the 5 to 6% range. How much longer are you going to wait? Take AIM, Affordable Interest Mortgage, 720-895-0500. Your home has never been worth more. Take AIM to get that lower rate or shorten your term. Lower your payment and pay thousands less in interest. It's your money. Call 720-895-0500 now. Affordable Interest Mortgage. Locally owned and family operated since 2001. Are you ready for the future financially? Many of our clients have the ability to access their equity for 30 years without raising their payments now. This prepares them for those speed bumps of life. Ask how you can become mortgage safe too. Take AIM, 720-895-0500, where our reputation of putting you first and listening to you is unmatched in Colorado. Call 720-895-0500 now so you can focus on what's important, family. Regulated by DOOR, NMLS 298191, Equal Credit Lender. Paul Lewinberger with American National Insurance offers a rebate program unlike any other. Every year that you don't file a claim, you get a certain percentage of your money back. Just one example of how Paul Lewinberger, the personal insurance agent of John Rush, keeps your rates so low. He rewards his customers for their diligence and responsibility. Paul can also help you strategize about when to file a claim and when to pay out of pocket so you save more money in the long run. You don't want to shop online for insurance because you have no idea what you're buying. You need Paul Lewinberger with American National, the no surprises insurance agent. Call 303-662-0789. That's 303-662-0789. And ask Paul Lewinberger with American National Insurance for details about his unique rebate program for home and auto insurance. Talk to somebody with the expertise to advise you so you get the coverage you expect. Managers control their employees. Leaders empower them. John Rush will teach you how to run your business as a leader, not manager, so you have the freedom to do what you love. You went into business for yourself because you wanted freedom. But right now, your business couldn't last one day without your involvement. Learn how to stop micromanaging and give your employees more responsibility so you can step back and enjoy yourself. Send an email to john at rushtoreason.com. All right, Fix It Radio, KLZ 560. Appreciate everybody calling today. By the way, if you've got anything else you want to add, any questions that you've got for us, please let us know. 303 477 5600. 303 477 5600. Really appreciate, again, all of you calling, 
and uh, the questions that we answer and so on. So, okay, back to the mower. Mm-hmm. Sharpening the blade. You don't need to take this in to do. And by the way, you need to be sharpening the blade because I can typically look at a lawn and tell you whether or not the blade is sharp or not after somebody's mowed it. I can look at the blades of the grass and tell you whether the mower's sharp or not. How do I know that? They'll have brown tips on the They have brown tips because if you if you, right after it's mowed, if you pull a couple of blades of grass out of the ground and you look at the tips through magnifying glass, you'll notice it's either cut or torn. Yep. If it's torn, your blades need sharpened. If it's cut, you're in good shape. Most people are tearing their grass when they mow it. They're not cutting their grass when they mow it. Yep. Why? Because their blade's not sharp. How do you sharpen the blade? Well, you're going to, again, get the mower up. There's no, it does, in fact, you could even do this before you do the oil, as you're doing yep. the oil. Once that oil's drained, even before we put oil back in it, you know, the gas is out, the oil's out, we're going to tip it up on its side, and you're going to take the blade off. Okay, now before we go there, mm-hmm. pull the spark plug wire off the plug. Yeah, well, there's no fuel in it or anything, but just to be on the safe side, yes. Safety first. Yeah, yeah, pull, yeah, pull, the, pull the wire off so we have no issues of anything firing up. Good point, Jeff. Yep. We're going to pull the blade off, though, and they're, they're attached numerous ways. Most of the time, there's the big nut in the middle that you unscrew, yep. and, and depending upon the mower, you know, typically speaking, it's a right-hand thread. Uh, there are unique situations where that not, may not be the case, but typically speaking, in fact, not everyone I've ever run into, there are right-hand threads. So you take it off just like you normally would, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. Mm-hmm. For all of you that don't know how a nut works, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, right? Or lefty-tighty and righty-loosey. Depending upon the application, but yeah. and typically this is righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. So yeah. take the nut off, take the blade off. Now, some of you that have a vice in the garage and so on, it makes it a little bit easier. You don't have to have a vice, but you, if you have the ability to, you need to have the ability, I should say, to stabilize the blade. Because mm-hmm. what you're going to do is you're going to look at each end of the blade, and most of you are going to have two cutting surfaces on the blade, one at each end. You don't have to have a power tool. You don't have to have a grinder. All you need is a decent file. If you don't have one, go buy one. Napa sells them all day long. Yep. Go down and buy a uh, – by the way, you don't need two files. It helps. I mean, if you have a coarse file and then a fine file, great. But if you just have a good fine file, a finished file, that's all you need. You don't need anything other than that. Don't get super fancy with it. And all you're going to do is keep the file – at the same bevel, the same angle that's already there. And you'll see that as you start filing. Yeah. You want to keep the same angle, is my point, of what the blade is currently at. And it'll have some dings and nicks and stuff in it. Even if you don't run, believe it or not, even if you don't run over rocks or hit anything with the mower, you're going to find yourself with little nicks in the blade. It just happens. It's the way it is. Yep. We're going to file those out of it, is my point. It's not, by the way, super critical that the blade is exactly uh, straight at, let me see if I can explain this correctly. In other words, if you have to get down into that that divot of the blade to get it sharpened and there's still a teeny bit of a divot there, I'm not concerned so much about making sure all of that is out and it's completely straight as much as I'm making sure the divot is just sharp. Yeah. If the divot's sharp, it'll still cut. Yep. And I think a lot of times blades get ground way too far down because of a small divot of a rock, you know, chip or something along those lines, and you and you grind far more material off than you need to just because we're trying to remove a divot. I don't I don't care so much about that divot. And by the way, here's why. If I've got a good sharp blade including the sharpness of that divot, and I'm doing that on both sides, the chances of having two divots in exactly the same spot, it's pretty remote. As long as I've got a good sharp blade and the divot itself is sharp, I'm good. Now how do you tell when it's sharp? 
just like you would check the sharpness of a knife. You're going to put your thumb or whatever kind of finger you want to put on there. You're going to run it across the blade, across, not down the blade, but back and forth, just like you would check the sharpness of a knife, and you're going to feel how sharp it is. It's all you got to do. Yep. If it's good, it's straight, it's clean, and it's got a good edge on it, we're done. Now, all of that to do the next step, which very few people do, including those that sharpen blades on a daily basis. We're going to make sure the blade is balanced. How do you do that, John? Well, here's how you do it. You take a nail or a screw, and, and or if you got something kicking around the house where there's a nail sticking out of something, you go hang the middle of the blade where it screws onto the mower deck itself, and you hang the blade off of there, and you see if it's balanced or not. How do you know if it's balanced? Well, if one side tips way down and the other side's tipped way up, you should be able to put the blade on there perpendicular and just have it stay there. If it wants to tip one way or the other, one side of the blade is heavier than the other. How do you adjust for that? We're going to take material off of the side that's heavy with our file. And you file that down until you get a nice balanced blade. Why is it important to have a balanced blade? Because it makes everything on the mower operate that much better and reduces uh, extra potential damage on the mower, even even on the crankshaft of the engine, of having a bad vibration if you get too much wobble in that blade, you know, too much out of balance in that blade. Now... For a lot of you listening, that's not going to be a big issue unless somebody has taken a grinder to the blade. That's where I'm telling you, don't use a grinder, just use a hand tool on it. You're much better off using it that way, getting it sharp and keeping things working properly and keeping it in balance versus using a grinder. You start putting a grinder on it, you're going to have it out of balance because you're going to take more material off of one side than the other. Just It just happens, folks. Yep. How do I know this? Experience. And again, most people have never thought about balancing the blade on the mower because, A, they just don't think about it. B, they don't know how. It's not complicated, by the way. There are actually tools out there that do this as well. But just make sure the blade's balanced in the way that I just said. It will save you wear and tear on down the road. And how often should you do that? Well, I would do it monthly if it were me. So if you're mowing once a week, you're going to do it after the fourth or fifth mow. Uh, you're going to at least do it, you know, now, going to do it in the middle of summer and do it as we get into fall, depending upon how much you mow and how big your lawn is and so on. But, you know, if you've got a sizable, you know, lawn to mow, I, I would be, you know, doing it now, doing it at least middle of the summer, doing it at the end of the summer. If you've got enough where you're mowing for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours each time, you're going to do it once a month. Yep. Now, there's also a quick way to check. Just tip the mower up and feel it. Not look underneath, look at the deck, look at the blades. Of course, everything being off as we Jeff pull said the spark plug wire. Tip it up, just feel the blade and make sure that everything is sharp. If it's not sharp, you need to now make an adjust. Now, the other thing you can do, by the way, which is not a bad idea for some of you that may find yourself sharpening these more often than not, buy an extra blade. Yep. Uh, somebody just texted in to or just called in when. When filing the blade, do you file to the blade or away from the blade? Away from the blade. Yes. So away from the blade. Now, initially, as you're just trying to get that edge where you need to, go both ways. Doesn't make any difference. Just file it down to where you've got it, you know, where you've, where you've got the right edge that you want first, and you've got the nicks and things out of it. And then, yes, to, to the caller's point, file away from the blade to get the edge that you want. And you may have to do that a little bit on the backside as well, just to make sure you don't have any rough edges there. And you can run your finger on it, and if you feel a lip there, then you need to knock that that little burr off. Right. And by the way, be careful. Wear gloves doing this yep. because it is going to be sharp when you're done. And again, as I said earlier, we want it sharp because we want to cut the grass 
not tear the grass. And I will tell you right now that there are probably the majority of mowers out there that need their blades sharpened that are literally ripping the grass, not cutting the grass. Well, if you've got somebody that's a service, they better be sharpening that blade every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because if they're not... It's, they're not going to be cutting the grass. They're ripping the grass out yeah. as well. They're tearing the grass. And you never... And don't take this wrong, but you never know what they cut last. Yeah. And, you know, I know I'm really anal, folks. It's the reason why, even though I own a lawn care company and they can come by and cut my grass anytime, I'm so anal about my grass that I don't let any other mower on my grass except mine. Why is that? Control I don't the weeds. Want the, I don't want the, well, I don't want the transfer, to Jeff's point... I don't want the transfer of everybody else's lawn on my lawn. Yep. That's how you end up with disease and other things going on. Now, how do commercial guys keep that from happening? The good commercial guys will, you know, or lawn guys will spray the mower tires down with some sort of a Lysol product, something along those lines to disinfect that. Now, in their defense, they can't get everything out. They're going from lawn to lawn to lawn, and you're going to have some transfer. It's just how it works. It's why I am, yes, anal about my grass and own my own mower, even though I own a lawn company. Yep. Just why it's why I do what I do. Yep. So again, you can get that transfer. So uh, that's where you have to even watch the kid down the street that wants to mow your lawn. Great, but keep in mind you're going to end up with everybody else's lawn. How do you lock the blade? To take the bolt off. Great question, by the way. Typically, there's going to be a hole in the deck, something you can actually put a screwdriver or something in to actually lock that blade down so that as you're taking that off. Or for a lot of you that have some nice power tools, uh, believe it or not, a nice little impact uh, wrench will take those right off without having to even hold the blade that way. So that's the other way to do it. So there's a couple of ways. You can also just hold it with your hand in a lot of cases, have a glove on, of course, and keep the blade stable that way and then unscrew the nut. Guys, with that, we got to go. We'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead because this is a big topic and there's more to do. So again, if you got any questions specific along these lines, let me know. Text me 307-200-8222 or go to fixitradio.com and send us a message. Otherwise, Jeff and I will be right back. Drive Radio is yep. next. If you've been listening on Tuesday, thank you very much. Much. We do appreciate it. Rush yep. to Reason is up next, but we are on Saturday. Drive Radio's next. This is KLZ 560.